Good morning. I need I need to move all this stuff because I am a newfie and uh, we get very excited very easily, which is why we're the butt of many jokes on a regular basis, but that is okay. Uh, so good morning. It's great to be here in Milton. Uh, I'm really excited about it. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name is Daniel. Uh, my wife, Rachel, is here in the front row. We've been at Portico now for two and a half years as the student ministries uh, pastors, and uh, it has been incredible. Uh, for those of you who are new, if you are brand new, this is your first week here, I really want to encourage you to come back next week uh, I think it would be great for you to meet Rick. Rick is an amazing guy with an awesome family. He loves God, loves people, and everything sports, which is near and dear to my heart. And so you definitely want to get a chance to uh, see Rick. And uh, I, I know for a fact he'd love to actually connect with you. And can I just say that I, I absolutely love the church. I absolutely love uh, Portico. I love seeing what God is doing in our church, in our campuses. Uh, and, and I especially love seeing what God is actually doing in our student ministries. Uh, right now, God has given them the privilege of having the summer off to uh, literally uh, relax, sleep in, do nothing, eat all of your food. And, uh, uh, yeah, basically do a whole lot of nothing. Unless you're like my family. My family was completely different. At a young age, everything changed. When I got to about nine, ten years old, we had to work. And I remember as a young kid uh, having uh, a paper route. Anyone here have a paper route? I was a paper boy, and you get those big, huge yellow bags that fit, uh, you know, 100, 200, 300 newspapers. And I don't know if you were like me, but I had a, I had a, a really big head as a kid. I had to grow into my head, right? So I did the paper route actually quicker than most people just because I had the weight of the paper bags, you know, plus the weight of my head. So I just, it was either moving forward or back. And, and we had neighborhood dogs, so, right? And, and there were Saturday morning cartoons, so I wanted to make sure that I got to see the cartoons and get away from the dog. Uh, but another job that I had uh, in the summer uh, was uh, picking strawberries. Uh, it was my first full-time summer job. I was picking strawberries, and I was actually picking strawberries for a ex-biker. He was an ex-biker and an ex-gang member. This man literally towered over me and everyone he came into contact with. He was a huge man, just muscles everywhere in places I still don't know where muscles can grow, okay? He was that big, and he was this ex-biker. But not only was he an ex-biker turned strawberry farmer, which totally doesn't make sense to me, but this was an incredible man of God whose life was literally transformed through Christ, through coming to know Christ and reading the word. And one of my favorite memories were when we would take these long breaks during the heat of the day. It would get really hot in the fields and he would come and find me and he would take me under some shade and he'd have some strawberries there and not just strawberries, but we'd also have some food that his, his wife would have uh, prepared for us. And we would have these long conversations about how God had taken him out of a, a, a life of violence, a life 
of uh, uh, not just uh, violence, but also uh, a life of, of drugs and alcohol, and uh, where everything turned around, and all of a sudden he's living this life of grace, uh, undeserved grace, as he would tell me. And I remember vividly one particular story that he, he, he mentioned, and uh, it, it just inspired me. And it was telling me, he told me this story about when he first gave his life to Jesus. And he was part, like I said about this, uh, he, he was with this um, biker gang. And it was a really uh, violent gang with their, you know, their leather jackets, their, their, their beat up clothing, which had blood stains and everywhere and the smell of alcohol and drugs. And they did all these different things. But he, he told me the moment that he, he gave his life to Jesus and he knew he had to get out of the gang. The only problem was that the penalty for leaving this gang was that you had to get your fingers removed. They would remove your fingers as penalty for, for leaving. Now, I don't know about you, but I like my fingers. Um, sure, they're a little bit stubby, and I got to keep them clean, and I got to cut my nails. You know, as, as a youth pastor, I give a lot of high fives. So I just can't imagine losing my fingers because it wouldn't be like a high five anymore. It'd just be like a high, right? I'd, I'd just pound people. Sorry, lame joke. But uh, anyways, he, just like me, just like you, we can't imagine what life would be without our fingers, and he wanted to keep them. But what ended up happening was that he decided that God was more important than his fingers, that he really had to live different as a result of the grace that God had given him. And so he decided to talk to this leader about, uh, about his choice to become a Christian and to leave, leave this group of, of uh, bikers. And by the grace of God, what ended up happening through a series of events, he was able to leave with his fingers intact. And not only that, but he tells a story about how he would go on to, to use those fingers that he didn't lose to play music. He would tell people about Jesus through his playing and, and through just testimony. And not only that, but he would end up teaching students how to play. I was one of those students. He actually taught me how to play trumpet. Now, you need to understand, I was, a, I was a little kid at the time, so I thought trumpet was the coolest thing. And so one of the first songs that I actually learned how to play was uh, Elton John's Can You Feel the Love Tonight? You know, some of you might know it from The Lion King. I thought for sure I would impress the ladies with this song. You know, I... Right? I thought I had it in the bag. The one thing that I forgot is about the spit valve when it comes to a trumpet. So I'm like, doo, 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 you know, sorry, sorry. It's just, it's just the way it is, right? But he would teach me these valuable lessons. He would tell me these stories about God's grace. And I'll be honest with you, these stories that we would talk about on the, in the fields, picking strawberries, or when he would be teaching me trumpet. These lessons of his, his experience with grace, they actually inspired me and to help shape and give a foundation uh, and an understanding of what God's grace is actually like for me and for people. And in scripture, we see that Jesus used to tell these same types of stories. 
that, that my mentor used to tell me. And they were called parables. They were simple stories to illustrate a, a moral or a spiritual lesson. And right now, as a church, we're actually in a new series, uh, Tales of the Kingdom. We're going to be going through uh, this for the, the summer, where we, we break down different parables of Jesus, what they mean, and how they apply to our life. And in Matthew 20, 1 to 16, uh, it tells us such a story where Jesus is talking to his disciples about what the kingdom of heaven is like. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to take it out, Matthew 20. And we're going 1 to 16. This is what Jesus says about the kingdom of heaven. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and uh, and sent them into the vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, he he found them and he asked them, he said, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? And they said, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble because of the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want, you to, I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I give you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Now this is a great story because it speaks to each one of us in the room here. Many times when we read parables in the Bible, we actually have this tendency to eliminate ourselves out of the equation. You know, we might leave church and be like, okay, the pastor wasn't talking about me this week. I'm good, right? Honey, it wasn't about us right? We're good. You know, sometimes we even have this uh, tendency to uh, stop ourselves when we read these parables of, uh, we stop ourselves from reevaluating ourselves or our spiritual lives. We tend to at times, not all the time, but uh, sometimes we think too highly of ourselves when we read these parables. And maybe we immediately point the finger at someone else, Right? We, read, we read a parable and we're like, well, <laughs> I know my neighbor who's exactly like this person, right? We, we have this tendency to do this. And, and you know, it, it's funny as a, as a communicator, a lot of the times when I'm speaking on stage and I'll say a point or I'll make a comment and I'll look at people and you're all thinking like, is he looking at me right now, right? 
But when I make these comments, people were like, oh, is he talking to me? Right? You know, I'll be talking about like Judas and I'll look at someone and they're like, I'm not Judas. Don't look at me. Right? I'm not looking at you today. Right? But I think that this parable actually does apply to us uh, in the room. There's a lot of us here who are dealing with these issues of grace. But let me ask you this question. After reading this parable, have you ever felt entitled or superior because of your heritage or your position in life? Maybe it's in the church or maybe in your workplace, at home or in relationships. Maybe uh, it's the thinking that you've done more so you deserve more. You've done more so you deserve more. Or maybe you're here and you're new to this Christianity thing. And you're thinking, you know, like, I'm so inferior compared to everyone else. I'm, I'm worse than everyone else. I'm, I, I'm nothing like that person next to me. Well, this per, uh, particular parable is actually, I find, a, a great way to, uh, to talk about both parties. Both the, the old-time believer and the new, new person that's given their life to Christ. Both serve as a way of showing that there's an assurance of God's grace for both the new believer and the old. And when you look at this parable, when you actually get to dive into it, you see that God's grace meets us at our point of need. In verse 8, it says, When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages. Beginning with the last ones hired, and going on to the first. Now, in that moment, the need of these workers was for work. They needed to work. Without it, they couldn't provide for their families. Without it, they could potentially lose their homes. Without it, they would go starving. And without it, they would potentially die. The need in that moment was work. And in this story, we see something crazy happen. This, this landowner looks throughout the course of the day to find people in need and meets them at their point of need by giving them the privilege of working. And it doesn't always make sense why he would do this, why he himself would go out and search for people, but he does it. It actually reminds me of a story of Alexander III, who was the Tsar of, of Russia in the late 1800s. This man ruled with an iron fist and gr- was gracious to few people. But his wife, Maria, was different than him. She was known for her generosity to those in need. On one occasion, her husband had actually signed uh, an order condemning, condemning a prisoner to life in exile. And the judgment simply read, pardon impossible, comma, to be sent to Siberia. And Maria saw the letter and changed the prisoner's life forever by moving the comma in her husband's order. She altered it to read, pardon, comma, impossible to be sent to Siberia. In that moment, Maria met that prisoner in his point of need. That man needed a second chance at life and she gave it to him. Why she did it, we do not know, but she gave it to him. She showed him grace in that moment and helped him in his moment of need, at his point of need. And you know, the same goes for you and I today. 
Through Christ, God has changed the comma that stood against us from pardon impossible because of our sin to pardon, comma, impossible to send. And this is because of the grace of God, and it's only because the grace of God. The Bible says, actually, in Ecclesiastes 7.20, that not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. And when you put that next to God's holy standard for living, we learn that the just penalty of sin is death. We know this passage, Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In other words, none of us here, even in this room, deserve eternal life. It doesn't matter if you are a new Christian or an old Christian, a big sinner or a little itty-bitty tiny sinner, you know. Um, it doesn't matter. We're all, we've all fallen short. And none of us deserve eternal life. And yet God's grace meets us at our point of need and gives us all what we do not deserve. And so looking through this parable of the workers, we see that God's grace is not merited by our service. It's not by what we do. Verse 9 and 10 of the parable says that the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when they came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. I actually remember a a moment in my life back on the farm picking strawberries. I worked alongside a a friend of mine. He was both uh, younger and smaller than me. Uh, And we were just, you got to understand, we're two like teenage boys. So I remember one of my fondest memories was us having this great idea to, to wrap him in a blanket and hang him and swing him over the banister, right? Can you imagine as a parent coming home to that, right? Uh, it was a wonderful surprise for my parents to see that. Um, but that was kind of the, the fun that we had, you know? Anyways, uh, my friend was, was smaller than me, and he was younger than me. So naturally, on any given day, I could pick more strawberries than him. And so this one day, uh, our boss came up to us, and he showed us this massive field. And he says, I want you guys to pick the leaves off off of all the plants here. And this is how you do it without hurting the plants. And so anyways, we see the field, we see what needs to get, get done, and we start working. And it's a hot day. It's exhausting. It's tiring work. I mean, like we're sweating and, you know, there's just dirt around you and you're just dry, you're thirsty, you're hungry. And it's, it's tough. Well, anyways, this, this field took us the whole day to do. And uh, by the end of the day, uh, I had noticed something. I had noticed that I had actually done three quarters of the field. I had finished three quarters of the field, and my friend had only, only finished a quarter of it. And to my surprise, at the end of the day, when I stood in front of my boss and he handed us the money for the day, he did something that I didn't expect. He gave us the same pay. Now, I don't know about you, and honestly, it frustrated in me in that moment because I knew what I had done. I knew that I had done more than them, than him. I thought I was deserving of more pay, and yet we got the same. 
Matthew 19, 27 tells us a similar story when Peter, one of the first disciples of Jesus, confronts him and says, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? In other words, hey, Jesus, what do I get? Look what I've done. What do I get for this? And maybe you're like me and you have this natural tendency in life to keep score of all the work that you've done. Maybe it feels, uh, it makes you feel accomplished or that you've earned your wage for the day. Maybe it helps you remember that you're valued or irreplaceable and that you're making a difference. You know, we, we tend to add this to every aspect of our life. And in work, we keep score, right? In, in church, we sometimes keep score. In, in our families and our friends and with our spouses, we keep score, right? Which is love keeps no record of lo- wrong, right? I'm learning 1 Corinthians, that one, right? Oh my goodness, Very valuable lesson learned. But we keep a record of how much more we do and expect a greater reward as a result of what we've done. And like Peter, this thinking even goes into our ideas of what the kingdom of heaven should look like, how God should act, how God should be. We see that in this parable and think the person who did the most work should go and get the most money because he did more. But we're actually missing the whole part of this story. The whole part of the story that we're missing is the fact about the the landowner's generosity and grace. Likewise, you know, when, when I think about it, it's not about all the work that we do for the kingdom. You know, there's, there's a lot of us here, we've done a lot for the kingdom. You've done it for most of your life. And it's, it's not about that. It's not about the reward. It's about salvation. That's what it's about. It's a free gift from God through the grace of God. I'll say this again in a different way. It's not about the reward. It's about God's grace. It's not about how long you've been a Christian and what you've done. It's about... God giving us what we don't deserve, which is eternal life. It's about him. It's always been about him. It's not about what you do. It's about what he's done. And the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, that for it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, but a gift of God not by works, so that no one, none of us, can boast about it. In other words, we see that having this relationship with Christ, whether we're we're new to the faith or older, isn't about what we've done. It's actually a matter of privilege, not merit. Max Lucado, a famous writer and a preacher in the States, would actually say that our merits merit nothing. Our merits merit nothing. God's work merits everything. And so when we look at this parable with fresh eyes and with a fresh understanding, we realize that in fact, everyone gets overpaid. You and I here, we are overpaid. We are getting what we do not deserve, which is the grace of God.
And this, this grace that God gives us is incredible. And God's grace is not merited by our services. It's not given because of what we've done or what we do. It's given because he loves us. And so you need to know this morning that God is less concerned about what you do and more concerned about who you're becoming as a result of the grace that he's giving you today. And so ultimately we see that God's grace mystifies our sense of equity. In verse 12, we see this struggle to comprehend the grace and generosity of the master. When those who worked longer said, these who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of work and the heat of the day. Similarly to the workers, we tend to miss the whole point of what's going on in the story. Often when we see God's grace in, showing, uh, in, show, in someone else's life, we, we automatically think to ourselves, well, them? What? That, that's not fair. I, I deserve. I deserve more. I, I should. Wh- why is God's grace on, on them? Why is God doing those things for them? Why, why, what, is, what is God's kingdom all about? This isn't fair. And it's not about what's fair. It's about God's grace at the end of the day. It's not about what's fair. It's about God's grace. And so often we think we've borne the burden and are worthy of more pay in life, more accolades, more success, more happiness. But we can't forget that God is gracious and generous and freely accepts all people, all sinners, including you and I. That is the grace of God. And so when we look at the story, the landowner didn't in fact cheat the workers who had worked longer because they still received what was promised to them. Likewise, we are also promised the same. It doesn't matter if you're a new Christian or an old Christian. Both of us have been offered salvation. Both of us have been offered redemption. When we get to heaven, we're both receiving the same prize, receiving the crown that is undeserved, but God gives it to us because he loves us. The real problem with this story is that they didn't appreciate the master's generosity. And sometimes we're actually too guilty of this too. We don't appreciate God's generosity to others. We see their success and transformation and think, really? Them? They're so bad. And what ends up happening is we get a root of jealousy and anger that begins to sprout in our hearts and fester in our daily lives. We actually see this in the story of Jonah. Jonah is sent to Nineveh to warn a nation that God is about to bring judgment. And we see this root sprout up in his life and his ministry towards the Ninevites. It says in Jonah 3.10 and 4.1 that when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And check this out. And he became angry. Jonah is literally getting upset. He's getting upset because people are repenting and coming back to God. 
The very thing that he was called to do is working, and yet he doesn't feel that it was fair that God would forgive them and offer grace so easily. A nation, a a nation literally did a 180. You know, you and I here today, we pray for our neighbors. We pray for our friends that one of them would come to Christ. And yet Jonah here has got a nation turning back to God and he's upset about it because he thinks that God showed too much grace on their lives. You know, so often we act the same and we want to put a cap on God's grace, but that's not how it works. You can't do that because God's grace mystifies our sense of equity. And we see this in the life of Paul the Apostle who was literally a persecutor of Christians. He was a killer of Christians and he showed no mercy in their lives. And yet this man was transformed by the grace of God and his life was forever changed. He had an encounter with God and pens this in one of his letters in 1 Timothy 1.16. It says, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst sinner, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Heather, if you can come up here and uh, the band too. You see, church, God's grace is for everyone who would repent and believe in him. It's not about what we get out of it. It's about him and the grace he gives each one of us. And we should celebrate that. We should celebrate what God's doing in us. We should celebrate what he's doing in others. It doesn't always make sense, this idea of what grace is and why he does it. It's not always fair, but I'll tell you this. It's transformational to those who would accept it. And for those of you who are willing to walk in the grace and love that God has for you, Man, what you will do, the places you will go. We're going to sing a song here and now. And it's basically talking about what the grace of God is like. And we're all coming from different places in our walk of faith and our understanding of who God is and this idea of grace. So I want you to take a listen to this song. Meditate on it. Think about what it says what it means in your life. And then afterwards, I want to come and and close and say a couple more words. But take a listen. Just be patient and, and hear this out. I'd ask if you could just close your eyes for a second. Maybe you're here today and you find yourself resenting God's grace towards someone else. It's been a root in your heart and you want to let it go. Or maybe you feel the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart, telling you it's time. Or maybe you're here today and you find yourself in need of God's grace. You have shame and hurt, undealt problems, maybe sin in your life. And and you need Jesus to clean up the broken pieces in your heart. I'm going to pray in a second. And I want you to give that to him. I want you to take in this moment 
an opportunity to just give those things over to him and trust that he will meet you at your point of need and give you the grace you need. And when you leave today, instead of feeling jealous or maybe envious of another person, instead of feeling shame or, or conviction over things that we've done that's, that's wrong in the past, I want you to focus on him. Focus on him and be thankful for God's gracious promises to you. What he's done in your life, what he has given you, which is his free and amazing grace. Heavenly Father, I just pray for every single person in this room. Lord, we are all on a journey. Lord, we are all on a journey and life isn't always easy. It it can get difficult. It can get very trying. But Lord, as we heard this song, we understand that God, you are here now. You are God. You are with us. And Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would meet us at our point of need, that we would receive the grace needed to overcome the day. Lord, and the grace needed to propel our lives forward into the things that you have for us to do. God, it's all about you. It's always been about you. And we love you, Heavenly Father. And we receive that grace and we give you all the other stuff. We embrace that grace. We love you and thank you, Heavenly Father, for this day and all that you are going to do in it, in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.